to Architecting. I'm your host, Angela Mazzi. You made it. This is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others, because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. You can't be courageous if fear doesn't exist because then you just be doing something, right? I can go get the mail. It doesn't require any courage because I'm not afraid of it. It required a ton of courage to release a book because it, it, I was afraid of all sorts of things. Would it be good? Would people like it? Would I fail miserably? Would I, all the things, right? All the fears and the doubts. And because of those fears and doubts, courage and confidence became not only necessary, but impactful, meaningful, all of that. Hey, Bright Lights. I am so excited for you to hear this interview. Nicole Khalil has really cornered the market on what confidence is really about. And I know you are going to get so much from my talk with her. But before we do that, I did want to remind you to get into my mindfulness challenge. We start next week. And this is super easy way to get centered, to get more in touch with that inner voice that confidence is rooted in that you'll hear Nicole talk about. All you have to do is go to architectingpodcast.com or click the link in the show notes. So I hope to see you. Hi, everyone. It's Angela and welcome to this episode of Architecting Today. I am really excited to have as my guest the amazing Nicole Khalil, aka The Confidence Sherpa. Nicole is a business owner, speaker, and coach. She's also the author of Validation is for Parking, which is an amazing book you should all get. And she is the host of This is Women's Work podcast. So welcome, Nicole. Thanks, Angela, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I am so excited to have you. I heard you on another podcast and I was like, she is speaking my language. We definitely need to have her on and have her share her perspective. So you do a lot of work around the idea of confidence. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the difference between confidence coming from internal knowing and confidence coming from a need for external validation. Absolutely. I mean, that's really the the crux of my philosophy or my belief around confidence. I think most of us are getting and have gotten mixed messages, false messages about this idea that confidence is something we get from external sources, as if our confidence is somewhere out there in someone else's hands or something else is holding onto it. And it's like some weird game of where's Waldo, where we just have to go find it and then convince somebody to give it to us type thing. I call it the false equation. And it looks like this. If X happens, then I'll feel confident. Again, this idea that our confidence is tied to something in the future or something outside of us. If X happens, then I'll feel confident. And X can be anything. If I get the compliments, if I get the promotion, if I you know, make a certain level of income, if I have perfectly behaved children, if the scale says a certain amount, I mean, the list is endless. And I want to be really clear that I'm not saying that those things don't feel good or that they're not something to be proud of. Success feels great. Losing weight can be a really healthy choice. 
making a certain level of income can afford certain things. So, uh, and if certainly getting compliments or validation can feel good. What I'm trying to make the distinction though, is that those things are icing on the confidence cake, not the cake itself. The cake itself is all the internal work that we get to do. It's trusting ourselves firmly and boldly. It's building and nurturing that trust. It's listening to what I and others call our inner knowing, this belief that there is a voice that lives inside us that knows everything there is to know, that knows our purpose, that understands why we're here and what's meant for us and what isn't. Through the course of our lives, we've either gotten out of practice to listening to that voice, or it's gotten really quiet and hard to hear. But a, a strong belief I have is it's always there and it's our opportunity to just reconnect back to it. So there's lots of moving parts about confidence being an internal thing, but I think that's such an important thing to know because it's so opposite of all the messages we're getting everywhere else we look. And I think that is a really important part because it hits on this idea of authenticity. And so often we're playing a part that we think we need to play for whatever reason, but it's not a match for who we really are or what we really want or what would make us happy. I was wondering if you could unpack that a little bit more. Like, How do we get back in touch with what we really want and express that authentically? Yeah. So phenomenal points. And I couldn't agree more. And really my confidence building work, both for myself and, and as my mission and purpose and, and the work that I do with and for others stemmed from a period of time where I was living very inauthentically. I you know, put on the mask. I did the best practices of what other people were doing. I you know, tried to fit in. And in doing so, I separated from myself. I separated from that inner knowing. And I think you know the reality is we probably know more than we give credit for when we're doing this. Our feelings and our emotions tell us. If something feels really exhausting all the time, it's probably because it's not meant for us or we're showing up in a way that's not true to who we are. If um, something's super draining or you know you get that icky feeling, like there are certain things that like, like you cringe right inside um, that feeling of like, I'm not comfortable in my own skin right now. And I think when we are doing things that are meant for us and we're meant for it and surrounding yourself with the right people and in the right ways, I think our body lets us know that too. We may be doing really hard work, but feel energized rather than drained. The kind of extreme way of saying it is when you feel the sun from the inside out, do more of that, chase that. Again, I just go back to, we know it, each of us are here for a reason. We each have value. We all have worth and we're here for a purpose. And I don't mean just one big purpose, but, but we, you know, are here to be ourselves. You're the only you there ever was or ever will be. And to me, that's not an accident. And so this idea of really connecting back to it and, and expressing it and knowing when you're doing it and when it feels right, not necessarily always that it feels good, but it feels right. And that's what I'm really talking about here. 
Yeah. Yeah. And when we do that, we get out of that comparison trap that I think we're all set up. You know, we're all a little competitive. We're always kind of looking for the lay of the land, but really breaking free from that because you're so tuned into what's right for you that it doesn't matter than what other people are doing. Yeah. Well, and I would also argue that um, comparison tells us something. And I say comparison is really the thief of confidence, right? Comparison typically puts us in a situation where we either feel better than or less than another person. And I think it's pretty easy to see why when we feel less than somebody else, it might chip away at our confidence. But what I want you to know is when you feel better than somebody else, it's also chipping away at your confidence because that's not confidence at all. That's typically arrogance or ego or fear or insecurity. Confidence is not needing to compare yourself to anyone at all. Having said that, I am human. And of course I compare myself to other people and I find myself feeling emotions of, you know, jealousy or insecurity, just like every other human on the planet. What I try to do though, is take a step back from it and go, what is this telling me? Is it telling me that I desire something that I don't yet have? Is it telling me about an area of my life that doesn't feel good or feel right? Is it an old belief coming back into play? Just a a reminder that those old beliefs lessen and lessen, but maybe never totally go away. And I just need to pay attention to that. Why is that sparking up right now? What is this telling me about me? Um, And the challenging part is to do that a little bit from a neutral place. Like my emotions aren't bad. Me being jealous of this person isn't an awful thing. What is it telling me about me, about my desires, about my fears, about my you know, beliefs about my values, about my current state of affairs and letting it send that message. I think that's a really great way of seeing it as a mirror, but not necessarily de facto, like this is who you are, or this is where you're stuck. And you said something really big there with the idea of fear. And I think a lot of us are living in a fear-based state way more than we realize. We might think, I don't have fear. Yet we do. We're constantly worrying every day about how other people are going to perceive us. And that leads to something I know you talk a lot about, and I certainly talked a lot about this whole perfectionism and procrastination. And it's, it's a little bit of a cycle. And I think the two of them are kind of like BFFs and they, they relate to one another. And that need to show up a certain way prevents us sometimes from taking any action at all. Absolutely. So in the, in my book, I identify five big confidence derailers. There's probably more than five, but these are the five that I see impacting people at the highest level. And, and specifically women, the, the book that I wrote is with women in mind. One of my favorite compliments I get is anybody reading it can get something out of it, but it, it was with women in mind. So the Five confidence derailers are, as you said, perfectionism, overthinking, head trash, this idea of seeking confidence outside of us, and judgment and comparison, which we already talked about. So let's talk about perfectionism and overthinking. Yes, perfectionism is this idea that we're supposed to do it all, have it all, be it all, look good while doing it, right? And somehow make it all look effortless. The problem with perfectionism as it relates to confidence is is it's unachievable goal. It's an unattainable standard. And so we know this logically, we often say nobody's perfect and yet we still hold ourselves to that standard. And the problem 
is we are not meant to be everything to everyone all the time. It's the opposite of what we were just talking about before. What's meant for me? What's my purpose? Where do I fit? Where do I not? And perfectionism basically sets all of that aside, sets an unattainable standard and says, you're supposed to be everything to all, everyone all the time. I always joke around, you are not a pizza. Not everyone is going to like you, right? And even people who like pizza sometimes can't eat it because it's just not good for them, right? Whether they're lactose intolerance or gluten-free or whatever the case may be. So this perfectionist standard that we're putting ourselves to is, is unattainable. Now, to your point of fear and doubt and all of the things that kind of creep in, overthinking is playing a big part in this. We are letting our fears run us. And then there's also this element of not remembering that these are totally normal human emotions, fear, doubt, making mistakes, pain. I know we don't enjoy the emotions and we want to try to create less of them, you know, and I, I, by the way, haven't figured out how to enjoy any of those emotions, even knowing that they're confidence builders, even knowing that they're a necessary part of the human experience. I don't enjoy them. But what I try to tell myself in those moments is the only thing that's missing is the benefit of hindsight. I don't yet know how, when, or why this is going to serve a purpose in my life, but I get to trust that it will. And if we think about confidence as firm and bold trust in self, which is what it is, if there isn't fear there, if there isn't doubt there, then there's no real need to trust. It said another way, those experiences are necessary to build confidence, to build success, to build happiness, to build courage, right? So like you can't be courageous if fear doesn't exist because then you just be doing something, right? I can go get the mail. It doesn't require any courage because I'm not afraid of it. It required a ton of courage to release a book because it, it, I was afraid of all sorts of things. Would it be good? Would people like it? You know, would would I fail miserably? Would I, all the things, right? All the fears and the doubts. And because of those fears and doubts, courage and confidence became not only necessary, but impactful, meaningful, all of that. So I, I digress a little bit, but overthinking is really problematic as it relates to confidence because overthinking leads to inaction. Inaction leads to regret. And if you ask any of the most confident people you know, or the most successful people you know, or people at the later stages of their life, what they regret the most. And they'll more often than not tell you about the things they didn't do, not the things that they did. And so, yes, fear and doubt are something we're all experiencing. I think the problem isn't so much that we're experiencing it, is that we haven't accepted it as part of the normal human experience. And we don't yet see it is the opportunity that it is. Um, we think it's bad or wrong, or there's something wrong with us that we're experiencing. And it. it's like, no, that's, that's normal. There's your opportunity for courage, confidence, risk, all the things that we know ultimately create success. That, that is real wisdom because it's just a reframing of the same situation, the same circumstances, but instead of seeing them through this conditioned cultural lens, you know, we're all in the same tinted fishbowl here. We're, we're jumping out. We're going somewhere else and we're looking at it from a different perspective where we can appreciate the experiences we've had instead of saying, 
I'm bad or wrong, or how could I have done that? Instead, we're able to say, I'm glad that happened because it led Mm -hmm. me to where I am today. I agree with you completely. And there are some experiences in my life still with the benefit of hindsight. I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm glad it happened. But if it was necessary to get me to this point in my life, then I don't regret it. And sometimes people will say, I'm grateful to this person who broke my heart or treated me badly or didn't pay me my worth or whatever because it led me here. I'm in the camp of, no, I'm not grateful to that person, but I don't regret that that experience happened because it it led me here. Like, I'm not going to make that person a hero in my story. They were still a jerk. (laughs) Right. They were the villain. Yeah. But overcoming them was part of the hero's journey. (laughs) Right. Exactly. No, I I think that is so important because it's very easy for people to get stuck in. I didn't do this by this point in my life, so I'll never do it. And I wish I had or putting limitations on myself because of decisions I've made in the past. Yeah, I find myself included. I catch myself often we're more committed to our limitations than we are our opportunities. Oh, that's a juicy one. (laughs) I mean, we just have the stories we tell ourselves, and we interact with the stories as beliefs. And then we act with our, our beliefs as if they're fact, truth with a capital T. And the reality is they very rarely are. And that's a scary thought, but I find in the coaching work that I do, and again, with myself, I'm not, <laughs> I'm a work in progress, just like anybody else, but I find often we fight harder for our limitations than we do what's possible. Why do you think that is? Is it just because it's the devil you know? Probably. I think we're, you know, we all have our comfort zones and and there's, you know, no growth happens in the comfort zone. There's all sorts of expressions around this. And the reality is it's that discomfort we know. I'm not saying that it feels good, but I'll use the example of somebody who is always struggling with money. And there are some people who are in very real situations, but maybe somebody who, if they just implemented a few things, but it's the discomfort they're used to. I grew up always having financial stress or financial pressure. And and now I've somehow created this life where I always have financial stress and financial pressure, no matter how much I'm making or, or what good work I'm doing. And it's like, you might just not be uncomfortable enough yet. You might be fighting more for that limitation than you are the possibility. We as humans, I think, really are scared of the unknown, even if the unknown has the potential to be better. I'm sure there's research and scientific reasons why we're that way. I don't know that I can speak to that, not my area of expertise, but I just find it to be fairly consistent. When I was growing up, the pastor at my church said, you know, if you asked everybody to put their biggest problems, write it down and throw them in a pile, people would be so excited, right? I'm going to get rid of it. But then if you said, all right, now grab another piece of paper out of the pile, how many people would be scrambling trying to find their piece of paper? I like that. I mean, that's an interesting exercise, right? It's like, at least I know this one. I've figured this one out, how how to live with the pain. I actually posted something on social media recently that said something like your biggest breakthroughs most often come when you get tired of your own shit. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. I want to shift a little bit 
okay, we're on this journey. We get some insights. We want to implement changes. And the very first thing that happens is we bump up against external limitations then. Like, so you say, I want to have more control over my calendar. I'm going to block time. And the very first thing that happens is somebody tries to make you feel guilty that you're not available. How do we try to have some boundaries without it kind of becoming the bitchy limit, you know, where we feel good about what we're doing. Other people, I mean, maybe they like it, maybe they don't, but we can be clear with that, not emotionally caught up in it. Yes. A great question. And again, you know, I think like everything, the more you practice it, the better you get. And it's always going to feel hard and uncomfortable at first and maybe the most painful at first. You said something that I think is really important. When we make up our minds to implement something new or to make a big change or to try something, the universe has a funny way of going, oh, really? Let's see if you really mean it, right? I'm all of a sudden going to commit to working out and then I'll get sick. Or, you know, as you mentioned, you're going to commit to creating boundaries in your schedule and then right away somebody's going to try to press up against those boundaries. I think we just need to know that's just part of it. You know, that's bound to happen and almost plan for it, right? So I'm going to create a boundary in my schedule. What's going to happen? Somebody's going to push against that boundary. How am I going to handle it? How am I going to be prepared? What's the verbiage or or, or the communication I want to give? So I always have kind of like some things in my back pocket. If somebody tries to push up against my boundaries or if they ask me to do something that I don't want to do, I first and foremost... Thank you so much for thinking of me. I consider it a great compliment that you thought of me for this opportunity. I think one of the reasons you thought of me is because when I commit to something, I am 100% in and I'm going to see it to its end no matter what. Because I'm that way, I need to be very careful that I don't overcommit. And I know right now I'm at capacity. Can I help you think of somebody else for this opportunity, or or if you want to circle back with me at a later date, or whatever. If somebody asks me to do something, I have it in my back pocket of kind of what I'm going to say. If the answer is no, or not yet, if the answer is maybe, then I basically say, I want to think before I commit, uh, if you can circle back with me in a week's time, something along those lines. So my point is just being prepared. I'm setting this new boundary because I'm setting this new boundary. It's inevitable that the universe is going to test whether I'm really committed. So how am I going to handle when somebody pushes against the boundary? At the very least, just a loving reminder that you do not need to respond right away for just about anything in life. Always have in your back pocket, let me think about it and circle back with you in 24 hours. At least buy yourself some time to really think, what do I want here? What do I not want here? How do I want to communicate this? How can I make this a win-win? That's something I often ask myself. How can I make this a win-win? And then the last thing I want to say, Angela, is if you hold to a boundary that's meaningful and true for you and somebody else gets upset about it, that does not mean you shouldn't have held to your boundary. There are all sorts of people out there who are going to get all upset about all sorts of things and who are going to have opinions about all sorts of things. They're not living your life. They're not the deciders or the determiners. And and I am always appreciative when somebody's a jerk because then they've made it known and I can 
push them or select them or move them out of my life uh, and move forward to the people who are the right fit for me. It's the people who like are kind of wishy-washy or who aren't obvious there. It's like, I always joke around the maybes will kill me. I'll take a yes or a no any day. No is my second favorite answer. It's the maybes that'll kill me. And so like, I'll take a wonderful person, but a not wonderful person is my second favorite option. It's the like, I can't figure you out. I'm not sure. I don't know. Those are the hard ones for me. I totally agree. And I think it is so great that you mentioned about you're not for everyone and not everybody is going to love everything you do. Now, going back to this theme of confidence, though, nobody's perfect and we're all aware painfully of all of our flaws and not that we shouldn't work to evolve and grow and overcome some of our limitations. But I did want to get your thoughts on at what point do you say when someone maybe has an issue or a problem with you, that's on you, that's your story. And at what point do you use that to maybe course correct because mm-hmm. you know sometimes what somebody else thinks is the wrong thing may be a hundred percent right for you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it, it really goes back to understanding we have no power control over anyone other than ourselves. So if you know I'm in conflict with somebody or somebody's upset with me or somebody doesn't like me. The only opportunity I have at that point is to take a step back and check in with myself. Did I mess up in some way? Was I hurtful in some way? Do I feel like I have something to apologize for or something to explain? Like authentically me, not because they're saying I do. If it's no, I I trust myself and I trust that I did that with the best of intentions or I trust that that was the right thing to do or say, well, then, yeah, I mean see you later. (laughs) But if there is some authentic knowing that, and we are human, right? We will do things even unconsciously, or I'll get in an argument with my spouse and I'll think about it and I'll go, oh yeah, I crossed the line there, or I didn't see it from his perspective there, or I came in with my old story there or whatever. That's my opportunity to own it and have that conversation. One last thing I'll say is I believe conflict is an important part of any important relationship, but I only fight with people who are willing to fight with me. I only fight for people who are willing to fight for me. Relationships are a two-way street. And that's not to say like if I royally screw up that I don't, you know, do my part to apologize and fix the problem, but somebody has to be in it with me. If somebody's not with me together in this, then they're just not my person. That's really profound. I personally struggle with people that will make me wrong. And my old self uh, would have just immediately gone into the anger, guilt, shame spiral. I've done a lot of work to pull out of that. Yet I don't want to be defensive either or completely dismiss what might be constructive criticism. But I think that discernment between was I actually doing something that I should change? Or is it the conflict coming because we just don't agree on 
how to handle a situation, but it doesn't mean that I have to change. And it's okay that you don't like the way I did it. Yeah. And I'll even throw another option in there, Angela. Somebody could give me feedback or something. They could be right. And I could still want to not have anything to do with them because of how they did it. The people in my life who love me challenge me all the time. And there is always challenging components and there's feedback and there's whatever, just because somebody's feedback is right, doesn't mean they're your person, right? Like I can learn from somebody. I I got feedback from a relationship in in my corporate career that I'm too reactive. He was right. I had opportunities and, and work to do on being reactive. The problem was he wasn't giving me that feedback for my betterment. He was giving me that feedback to hold me back because there were other people who were moving up the career ladder that were uber reactive, that were known across the enterprise for being the most reactive people. So me being reactive was holding me back. I would submit in this particular case because of my gender, me being reactive was seen as not appropriate, whereas my male counterparts being reactive for whatever reason was appropriate. So This person was not my person, not an advocate, not somebody who was for me. And I was able to cut that person out, move on from that relationship. And I was also able to take the feedback and do something with it because he was right. I am a reactive person and it wasn't serving me all the time. But just because he was right doesn't mean that that was a relationship worth salvaging. That is really, really great advice. I I love that you said that. And I think that will be something that a lot of the listeners will really take with them. Is there an ulterior motive? Is there something else going on there? And and how do how do I deal with that? So I really appreciate that. Can I well, add just one thing real quick, Angela? This works internally too. I I would submit we have a lot of voices in our minds, but I want to identify two. One is the voice that I call head trap. It's the voice that we have in our side of our minds that says things to us about us that are never kind and very rarely true. And then there's our inner knowing. We talked about this earlier. How do we know the difference? Your head trash says things the way a bully would. It's mean. It's like you would never say those things to somebody you love. If you wouldn't say what you're saying to yourself, to your best friend, to your child, to your partner, then it's head trash. Your inner knowing will challenge you. It may tell you things you do not want to hear. It may make you wildly uncomfortable, but it will always come from a place of love. That's how you tell the difference internally, but also I would submit to you externally too. And I'm not saying like your boss should love you, but your boss should care about you and your best interests. If they're coming from a good place versus a bully place, that is an important distinction I think to make. That's very powerful. Being able to weigh that and to know the difference is important. And, And I think it does come also from doing the work on yourself that you're centered and you're grounded. So you're not just going to accept whatever's said that you are going to be able to intelligently process it and take what you need and let go of the rest. You're exactly right. Because my definition of confidence is when you know who you are, own who you're not, and choose to embrace all of it. So to your point, self-awareness is a really integral part of confidence and what we were just talking about. Couldn't agree more. 
Well, this is such a great interview. We could go on forever, I feel like. But um, I did want to give you a chance to share with people how they can find you and connect with you, get your book, listen to your podcast. Yeah. Awesome. So NicoleKhalil.com is my website. Really everything is there. Um, the podcast, the book, all the, all the stuff. Joining my community, I, I send one email a week and I try to make it really packed full of relevant things, not salesy or anything like that. Outside of that, the book is Validation is for Parking. Amazon's probably the easiest way to get it. I wish that weren't the case, but we're trying to get more into local bookstores. I'm on social media-ish. I show up here or there. (laughs) Everyone, definitely, if you got an insight out of this, make sure you reach out to Nicole. I think it's always so meaningful when you share your insight and what you learned and what nugget you took away. Or if you try some of this advice, uh, definitely let us know what happens next because we are very invested in your success. Thank you again, Nicole. Thanks, Angela, for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. you for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed to making yourself a priority so you can be empowered to do the work you were called to do in the world. How amazing is that? If you would like even more content just like this, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate it if you left an honest review too. Hey, I want you to know I'm here for you beyond the boundaries of this podcast. You can follow me on social media at Architecting Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. Take care, everyone, and stay inspired. Mm-hmm.